As a revival of interest in natural health care occurs, we do well to educate ourselves in the art of family health care. Family health care is an art that mothers practice on a daily basis. We observe our children. We evaluate the need for intervention. We medicate as necessary. We seek other opinions when appropriate. Mothers, by nature of our calling, become family health care practitioners. Look upon the home practice of health care as a heritage to teach your children so that they may then teach this to their children and so on through the generations. Mom, you are an artist. God endows us with the unique ability to house and nurture his new creations in our wombs. Just as our health habits, spiritual and physical, provide the background colors onto our children's divinely designed body blueprints, our mothering attitude and actions paint the color in our children's lives that will one day be a complete portrait of God's creation. What an amazing job we have. What a blessed job we have. We are called to an awesome life of ministry, that of stewarding our children. We steward their environment, the home. We steward their health by nourishing them and caring for their illnesses. We steward their spirits by teaching them the wonder of their design and their own purpose in God's creation. May the Lord bless our learning. May we present ourselves as willing vessels for His use in the creation of our masterpieces, our children. From the Introduction to Mommy Diagnostics by Shonda Parker. Well, welcome back to another episode of Bright Hearth. As always, my name is Brian Sauvet, joined by my lovely wife, Lexi. Lexi, say hi to the people. Hello. Hello. <laughs> she, started, she, started, I'm awake. she started quieter, but built <sighs> and got more confident. Yes, welcome back to literally our bedroom uh, here after kids' bedtime. I hear a mysterious tapping from one of the upper <laughs> bedrooms against the wall. So either one of our children is looking for treasure hidden in the walls, or I don't know, it just has a little bit of restless leg syndrome. Um, <laughs> so if you hear that, that's what's going on there. Welcome back, uh, everybody. We are continuing here towards the tail end of season one of Bright Hearth. And uh, in this season, we've been walking through the different rooms of the house and really asking in each room of the house what arts and disciplines of domesticity and the productive Christian household can we recover here in this room? How do the different rooms of the house serve the people that God has given us, as well as the kingdom of God in, in often humble ways, but uh, ways that nonetheless are necessary for us? And so we're aiming to recover these lost arts together with you. And we're, we're coming into, I don't know if that, this is actually a room in most people's houses, <laughs> or it is in ours. It is in ours. <laughs> it's like I just organized a food storage closet, and now it's mostly just filled with dried medicinal herbs. Yes, we're in the apothecary today, and what is an apothecary? Much requested. This is a much requested yes, it episode. Is. It is. What What exactly um, is an apothecary? Maybe I didn't tell you I was going to ask you that, but well, probably should. What's the official definition? Let, let's Let's make apothecary. So, number one, it's just a cool sounding word. Of course, this has to do with home medicine, and uh, it has to do with... A person uh, who prepared and sold medicines and drugs. There you go. <laughs> so we're talking today about doing drugs in Bright Hearth oh, podcast. Gosh. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're talking about at-home medical care. We're talking about just the reality that productive Christian households are productive because there are people in them, right? Where there is no oxen, the stable is clean, but the harvest is brought in by the strength of the ox. The productivity of a household is because of the people, Right, the people are at the center of the household. 
this people worshiping God together, living life together in obedience to his word, pressing faith out to the edges of their lives. And so it, wherever there are people, there are going to be, because we live in a fallen world, where we still wrestle with the curse, uh, even though Christ has dealt a deadly blow to the curse and will ultimately undo the curse altogether and glorify the world altogether, uh, right now we live in a fallen world. So wherever you find people, you will find sick people. And wherever you have a productive household, uh, you're going to have to deal with injuries, especially if your children are anything like our children. <laughs> you will, you will, one of our children runs around saying, I got my second concussion. This Yeah, I was going to say, oh. he told me, my favorite concussion was the one yeah. where blah, blah, blah. I was like, none of them were my no favorite concussion. That. I've never had a favorite. And I, I grew up, you know, very active as well. I, I had concussions, broken bones, broken nose, lots of stitches. They can compare ambulance rides too now, so. Yes, man, just always getting injured as a little lad <clears throat> running around. Our kids are the same. We have five children ranging from 15 months to nine years old, uh, three boys, two girls. So we're always dealing with injuries and uh, illnesses. As many of you are as well, things coming out of both ends of the children that shouldn't be. Even husband, wife getting sick yeah, and yeah. needing to care. This isn't just about children. So the first question I have, because Lexi has put a lot of study into this as she takes her role as this Titus II Oiko Despot household manager seriously, she has aimed to care for the family well, has read quite a bit on this subject and really put a lot of work into you know, becoming proficient in caring for these common illnesses and injuries and helping maintain health in our home. So so the first question, Lexi, that I wanted to ask you is, is just, it's kind of the why question, because I think a lot of people, they just sort of say, science and technology is so advanced, medical technology is so highly advanced, we have million-dollar machines with lights and lasers and magnets and x-rays, and we have and chemical elixirs for any ailment that you might have, we have a different, ex, you know, like there's an expert for each part of your body. There's like an ear yeah. hair expert. Yes. There's like a belly button <clears throat> expert. There's like a doctor for your toenails. So why would we even want to have a home apothecary when there's experts for that? Like It seems just people, you know, witchy poo and like, <laughs> you know, it seems like. Oh, herbs hanging from your ceiling! Like, well, don't go to Walmart. Go to the yeah. go to the pharmacy people. So, give a defense here. Why? Why apothecary? Well, I have a couple of defenses I would like to give. One, we have to realize that most modern science. And remind me to come back to this. Most modern yep. science is black magic. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, oh, I forgot to say, our lawyers told us to tell you, this is not medical advice. And so... You don't have to ascribe to my beliefs Yeah, you don't. This is, we're literally, we're not telling you to... You don't you know, have to listen to us. We're not all. giving you a treatment regimen right now. We're not telling you. So don't sue us. We'll talk about emergencies. We will talk about ERs and things like that. But So a going. lot of the allopathic, modern, conventional medical system is built on an evolutionary perspective of a person. Sure. So as Christians... We are not Gnostics, which means we actually care for the body. It was created by the Lord. It was created with intelligence by the Lord. It was created with wisdom. 
There's a lot of cool things that the body can do. So what happens? I'm not saying your individual doctor is like a flaming atheist who actually believes his cousin is an ape. But what happens when you're working within a system that is truly an evolutionary based system is they're not going to value the person as a person. I think, unfortunately, a lot of people realize this when something bad happens to them or a loved one. And that's the lame part is the people like me end up sounding like crazies because nobody wants to listen until something bad happens. You mean something iatrogenic. Correct. And we're going to use this word. We should probably define it. So when Lexi says allopathic, first of all, allopathic is like just a, you think of conventional Western medicine treating symptoms with a medicine that will induce the opposite effect. With an isolated chemical that has been synthetically created, yes. Yeah, so think just modern, go to a pharmacy, that's generally allopathic. Um, When we say iatrogenesis or iatrogenic uh, illness issue, uh, yeah, go ahead. Why don't you define that for us? No, you define it. I'll define it for us. Iatrogenesis is essentially an illness or injury caused by medical intervention. So it's you think about somebody who goes on SSRIs or somebody who goes on some other chemical elixir to treat something like clinical depression, and then they have suicidal ideation. And all kinds of, you know, maybe a, a mental health spiral or somebody uh, goes on, let's say, chemical birth control. Yeah. And then a woman gains weight and she loses her sex drive and she has, you know, has long-term <laughs> fertility. Or, yeah, has a stroke or a blood clot or a yeah. heart attack. That's iatrogenesis. Yeah. And the reality is because the medical establishment is very, very hesitant to be honest yeah. about the extent of this problem, Iatrogenesis is a massive issue. Yeah. I mean, I, medical errors and iatrogenic uh, in injuries and illnesses actually cause a huge number of deaths yeah. and permanent medical issues for health issues for people yeah, each I'm gonna, year. I'm going to read this section from Dr. Mendelssohn's book, How to Raise a Healthy Child in Spite of Your Doctor. He says, countless studies have shown that iatrogenic illness contracted in hospitals is not an isolated phenomenon. In one such study, 815 consecutive patients in the general medical service of a university hospital were evaluated. This gentleman is a pediatrician, by the way. More than a third of them, 36%, were found to have a disease condition caused by something done to them by a physician. A total of 165 patients had one patient-caused condition, and 125 of them had from two to seven iatrogenic conditions. These included heart and lung complications, infections or inflammation, gastrointestinal problems, nerve damage, allergic reactions, bleeding, and metabolic conditions. Complications. For at least two decades, um, other studies have reported similar results. In 1963, a study of 1,000 patients admitted to a university hospital during an eight-month period revealed that 20% of them had acquired an iatrogenic disease during their stay. 51% 51% of the victims had complications due, the, due, due to the administration of drugs, and 24% were the aftermath of diagnostic or therapeutic procedures. Illnesses related to pre-existing complications, nursing errors, and the untoward effects of surgery were excluded from the study, or the numbers would have been even more shocking. Something I realized, too, while reading this, 1963, we were hardly vaccinating back then. Yeah. So imagine what these numbers are like now. Yeah. And also, because when, when we're talking about the medical establishment, we're talking about something that is heavily subsidized or has heavy government interest. Okay, yeah, we can and talk then about that too. we also have issues where companies, big pharma companies, are getting legal protections from lobbying interests and political interests 
So we have this corporate and political um, unholy marriage yeah. that's leading to things like drug companies having complete immunity yeah. from not only being sued for these iatrogenic issues, yeah. but e- even legal protection from the data getting out or yeah. inquiries happening. So, you know, one interesting example is the vaccine study that they won't do, right? There was Correct. one, remind me of that. I don't know, honestly, this could get us killed. That's okay. I mean, what most, else? We live on the most edge. Most of our listeners probably know this, but to date, the COVID vaccine is still the most studied vaccine, and it's still not studied very well. So there has been uh, JF, uh, Robert, Robert F. Kennedy and Dell Bigtree sat down with Dr. Fauci and, oh, I can't remember who the other one was. I think this was in 2019 or early 2020 and just said like, look, we will stop all of our campaigns against you guys. Right. If you can just come out with one study showing that the long-term use of mm-hmm. vaccines are actually, We've already said it. I know late. that's true, <laughs> um, are actually beneficial and that there's actually improved health, improved long-term, you know, lifespan, increased lifespan, all that stuff. And they just said, we will never do that. You're talking about a double-blind study against, with a control group that isn't vaccinated. Correct. So those studies, many people think, just assume, well, of course, the way you would discover whether some of these treatments and interventions are safe is by doing a control group study Mm -hmm. where there's a, 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 a sample size that's adequate and, you know, in a statistically sound way has been... Mm-hmm. gleaned. Yeah. And you do a study where some people don't get it, some people get it, and then you, you know, wait five years, 10 years, you study those people, and you say, what are the health outcomes, yeah. right? Controlling for different differences. Those studies have not been done. So do you they remember- They will not do that. Do you remember the pediatrician in Dell's, the vaccine documentary that you and I watched that was produced by those that Christian couple, and there was a male pediatrician in there. Mm-hmm. He took his own numbers- after I think it was like 20 years of practice, he took his own numbers and yep. looked at families who From chose it and did not choose it. And the numbers were not great. In, so yeah. he started using those numbers and guess what happened? He no he longer has a medical license. He has a license revoked. <laughs> yeah. So you see the, the cronyism that happens between the big government, the political entities and the political interests and big pharmaceutical companies. So Gnosticism is one thing. Another thing is I think God's law requires transparency in this. Yeah, absolutely. Among doctors, among medical research. And part of this problem is men going into the sphere of medical ethics have not been acting like Christians. If they would have been acting like Christians and had not have had a sacred, a, a secular and spiritual divide that they grew up with for whatever reason this would not, we would not have been allowed to get away with this. Yeah, the medical ethics have not been informed by Christian ethics. No, absolutely not. So, yeah, and if you guys can go research Rockefeller and how he basically overnight changed, it was widely accepted, widely known, widely believed that things like homeopathy and herbal medicine and um, solariums, like sitting in the sun, were normal, natural, and safe ways of caring for sick people. And he basically overnight came in and changed everything to allopathic hospital, not hospitals, but colleges shut down all the other training hospitals. And that's how we got where we are today. It wasn't because science proved it. It's because somebody who had a lot of money was able to come in and make big changes. Yeah. So, um, Gnosticism, I think scripture requires us to be more 
careful with life because it is so valuable. Yeah, when we're talking about Gnosticism and the connection there, we're saying that to the Gnostic, the, the, the physicality of the world is something that is evil and to be escaped. And the spiritual is good, the physical is bad, to, to oversimplify and just kind of in a nutshell. So you think about if you approach the world in a fundamentally Gnostic way, or if you have Gnostic tendencies in your own theology of the body as a Christian, you will just consider these things sort of like, well, you know, this body's just a tent, you know? And, you know, it's easy to justify that kind of thinking with Paul saying that we have this treasure in jars of clay. And yes, like your body's going to die. We're not talking about some kind of transhumanist fever dream where you're going to become immortal apart from the resurrecting power of Christ. Yeah. Of course not. No, no, that's not the but, goal. No, but we're Christians. And so that means that not only do we are we to love our neighbor, but we're to love our neighbor by understanding what our neighbor is, which is an embodied soul who, in order to love that neighbor, it means that we need to approach our neighbor with a Christian anthropology that leads to a Christian theology of medicine yeah. and of health. And a lot of the a lot of the the world the, the issues that you'll see in, in big pharmaceutical and big medicine worlds are the fruit. They're fruit. Yeah. Not root. The the root is a fundamentally evolutionary pagan and often even I would say like a demonic witchcraft kind of like a, a pharmacological equivalent of witchcraft. Yeah. In approaching these things, it's very similar to me to the alchem the, the okay, alchemical so movement. So I was going to explain um, explain that. Typically, yeah. like a classical view of stewarding nature, science, medicine, all those things, was observing the way God created and working in its nature. Yeah, working in the with along the grain of the, of the nature of a thing. Alchemy, mysticism. We're trying to control the outcomes, mm. which is totally different. And so you have people throughout history like this guy who was basically posing as a Christian. He was, I believe he was Egyptian. And he was kind of coming in and it was around the time when um, Copernican theory was coming into existence. And so the liberals like to kind of paint him as like this martyr <laughs> for Copernicus. Yeah. Yeah. They, no, Bruno, Bruno. Oh, Bruno. Okay, Bruno. I thought they you were want, about Yes, they, they kind of say like, well, because he was burned at the stake. Christian, the church eventually burnt him at the stake. Bruno, this yes. Egyptian dude? Because of his mysticism. I've got to hear about this. Liberals like to say, oh, it's because they didn't want to accept Copernican theory. And that's not actually what was happening. He was kind of, he was kind of one of the first people that was coming to the church and essentially saying, hey, let's depart from the scientific method and let's go towards this mystical alchemist route. Yeah. Okay. So Christians alone have the right to stand on the scientific method because we alone understand that God ordered the universe in, in such a way that it, that it is observable and that science is repeatable, okay? Yeah, these preconditions for intelligibility, Correct. preconditions for science to work, things like fundamental laws governing all places and all times yeah. that are repeatable, that the past is going to be or the future will be like the past, yeah. that our senses accurately portray reality to us. There are many more. These are preconditions that only Christianity can account for. Correct, which is why ancient early Asian cultures, ancient early Greek and Roman cultures, even though they are, were all brilliant in their own right, they did not have the scientific 
technological developments that Christians had very quickly yeah. from the Middle Ages until 1900. Well, it, it's really interesting. Early in Greco-Roman thought, the Greeks and the Romans had a tendency to begin with philosophy and mm-hmm. try to impose their philosophy on the physical world yeah. and basically try to derive all physical laws and all reality from philosophical ideas. Mm-hmm. This is an oversimplification, but this was a huge tendency. So instead of a Christian saying, no, the world was made by God, it's knowable, it's repeatable, we have these senses that accurately portray reality to us, let's go about and do science. Yeah, Let's do experimentation. Correct. And actually, let's discover what the world is like. Yeah, and I can't remember if it was in the soul of science or somewhere else I was reading, but they were talking about because their view of the gods was that they were capricious, they mm-hmm. were actually yeah. scared to go figure out what is lightning really because in their mind, the God was mad at them and it was like a judgment. Oh. So they're not going to go investigate it. Like because, stealing fire. Yeah, they're scared. Yeah, they're scared of the gods. It's totally different than a good father who has ordered the universe For rightly. For our good. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. given us even. I think this is actually a connection. I hadn't quite made this way until you just said that, but even the Adamic dominion mandate mm-hmm. presupposes that God not only made the world knowable, but he made it where he intended for mankind to go mm-hmm. and order it and discover it and mm-hmm. bring order into the chaos, not not chaos, but bring yeah. order and to bring, um, to, to tend and prune yeah. and to discover. Yeah, so you can see, I'll finish my thought, but I do want to say real quick, you can see why why there'd be so much faulty science in our atheistic modern worldview of medicine now. Absolutely. Because they don't actually have the the right feet to be standing on, therefore their science will be faulty. But going back to the story about Bruno, yeah, so he the Christians understood the necessity of maintaining the scientific method when it came to to medical and scientific development, that they were willing to burn him at the stake <laughs> because they understood that veering off into mysticism was very damning for people. Yeah. And so, I mean, that should make any doctor, that should make any CDC worker, that should make any pediatrician, any midwife, very wary of what they're actually trying to get people in their practice to do. Yes, to make sure... That and and even just speaking to Christians now, because there are Christian doctors and Christian nurses and um, you know Christian therapists who are uh, doing you know physical therapists and midwives who are in these fields and care about people and really love people and do. Um, I, I was just talking with a doctor, the Christian you know that I know recently, and and he was talking about some of these issues mm. and genuinely wants to help people. He he mm. has no interest in. Being a you know the arm of a pharmaceutical company, just prescribing medications for no reason other than to make money, or because they you know hey we just trust them. Yeah. But a lot of the time, I think Christians in some of these fields lack two things or fail in two directions. One of them is courage. Yeah. Because like you said, I mean, if you put a toe out of line, yeah, on the wrong issues, you will lose your license you will immediately lose your license. But so it requires courage to stand for the truth. But the second thing is honestly a failure of skepticism, of having a healthy skepticism and basically saying, like, do the work, read the study. And if there isn't an adequate study for some medicine that they're trying to tell you to prescribe, 
You'd ask them. Well, I've Where's said the this study? before where I got to the point where I realized I had read more on asthma than our pediatrician had when I was questioning them. Like, is my child, is this why my child is having these, these reactions? Because yeah. they actually shouldn't have this over the counter med. And, you know, I'd take the study and ask the question there and they'd come back to me like, like you're right. Oh, you're right. Actually. And this is this is so, <laughs> and and so in that moment, it it dawned on me that I am the one that's responsible for my child's yeah, medical choices, right. not the doctor. Yeah, that's so important. And most parents don't realize that that their child becoming healthy, their child getting off of medications, actually becomes a liability to the doctor. And and you know what? They're gonna call you a Karen. And there <laughs> there there are so many strategies that our culture deploys to try and make to demoralize parents from taking agency in medical decision-making for their family. You know, they'll say like, oh, they'll, they'll, you know, you see comic strips and jokes all over that are like, you know, a doctor seeing a patient's like, oh, no, here's another one that went to WebMD and went to a website and read a few things, and now they're going to tell me, you know, I'm, I'm a medical professional. And it's like, listen, doctors are general practitioners. It is absolutely possible to with, with focused re- research to know more than your general practitioner doctor yeah. or your pediatrician on a specific illness because they're they're people. Human beings yeah. are not encyclopedias. They can't there is no possible way except for a vanishingly few people with extraordinary gifts of memory mm, and, yeah, and interest true. to know even the, you know, kind of the broad outlines of everything. And I don't know, maybe this is just an outside observation. I really do feel helpful and I've seen a lot of men standing up a lot of christian men that i know speaking to this issue but the sad thing to me is that i think the reason moms have been able to take easy advantage of is because dads have not been doing their job of being educated going to appointments with moms i know plenty of fathers who do it now sure but you know I've, I, I know that there's been moms that have told me, even in our church, that are like, I know the doctor wouldn't have talked to me if my husband was sitting there. He wouldn't have talked to me the way that he did. He would have. If my husband were there, he yes. wouldn't have been so patronizing. Correct. Because, a lot, you know. So why yeah, I'm hopeful yeah, that's very true. over it now is because I'm like, I'm seeing men finally stand up yeah. and say something about this. Men taking dominion, not just moms. And so we can easily pu- be pushed aside. And I do not yeah. at all mean that in a feminist way. At all, so no. don't hear that. No, bottom line, because we're we're going to move into some practical stuff. This is worldview, like this is important. I think this is important. This so is the important yes. meat of the episode, really. Like this is the important part. I want parents, I want moms and and fathers to take ownership of the health of their family, to take ownership of what's going into their bodies, of medical interventions for their children, because you don't want to be the parent that unthinkingly does what a doctor says and ends up with a child who's seriously damaged or or uh, harmed with an iatrogenic illness and until it happens to you yeah you just think this happens to nobody but friends this happens to hundreds of thousands of people yeah. millions of people this happens to and so you know you you look at and a lot of the time until it's proved to the point where nobody can deny it and everything gets drug into the light, the medical establishment and big government will do everything they can to make you feel stupid for saying, yeah. hey, it seems like there's a connection between this thing that you're doing and this result. 
Yeah. And they will mock you and they'll be like, oh, you idiots. You guys don't know. This doesn't cause that. And I'm sure you can think of some examples. Correlation. You know, <laughs> correlation. And they'll throw that kind of, you know. But we are the ones, <clears throat> because we're Christians, the scientific method is our thing. And so we yes. should be the ones saying yes. and insisting that medical companies and doctors and the medical establishment actually does the scientific method. Yeah. And, and the point is, they hide behind this veneer of um, credentialism. Yeah, their white cloaks and their... So often, the scientific method is not happening behind closed doors. No. Uh, I think Dr. Story's done a good job of this. That's why he started his own private practice, is he didn't really want to have anything to do with like the transgender surgeries they were starting yeah, to perform. Yeah, great example. And, so, and he, he says it, and I've heard other people talk about, as Christians, the answer is private practice. Even... Um, one of our listeners posted something just the other day, a family, I won't name them, but uh, th- th- their ch- their doctor was telling them that their child needed to have this special eye. It was like a special lens that was supposed to shape the cornea as they grew. Okay. And the, the mom asked the doctor, show me the long-term studies on this. What what happens to children who, what are the studies that like yeah. show side effects or oh, dangers? Oh, can I read about that actually? And uh, they, they said they haven't been done. They could not find them. And so she said, you can't do this. That, like, that, no, yes. I'm not going to let you. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, let me read this. This is from Shonda Parkersburg, who was a Reformed Christian, by the way. A 1990 report from the United States Office of Technology Assessment of the United States Congress concluded that up to 80% of conventional medicine lacked an adequate basis in research. In 1991, British medical journal editor Dr. Richard Smith evaluated 21 standard medical practices and concluded that 17 out of 21 had poor to none evidence for their effectiveness in an editorial commentary on the necessity of research-based medicine. Dr. Smith says only about 15% of medical interventions are supported by solid scientific evidence. This is partly because only 1% of the articles in medical journals are scientifically sound, and partly because many treatments have never been assessed at all. Amazingly, 20 to 50% of conventional care in virtually all surgery has not been evaluated by randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled studies. Perhaps the most disturbing finding came more recently in a review by Jeanette Ezzo and Dr. Brian M. Berman of the University of Maryland, undertaken under the auspices of the International Cochrane Collaboration. Based on 159 reviews of conventional medical practices, the reviewers found that only 20.8% evidenced a positive effect on the treatment group over the control group. And for the vast majority of conventional medical practices, the evidence ranged from 6.9% demonstrating harm to 24.5% resulting in no effect at all. So we're so obsessed with technology, like that mom, the example of the eye. We're so obsessed with technology that we just say, we can do it. Let's do it. Yeah, but we, we're not saying. Should we do it? Should we do it? What are the long term effects? Are we <laughs> are we treating a symptom that's actually are we suppressing a symptom without treating a root cause that's actually Correct. causing greater harm? Are we having cascading effects? The other thing is, and this is so underrated. It's such an obvious point that once you say it out loud, you're just like, duh. But think about this: not only have they not done the studies adequate double blind placebo studies on most of these interventions. They could not possibly do double-blind placebo studies when you start talking about synergistic reactions between people being on multiple medications. Yes, yeah. So when we have people who are on three or five or six or 10 or 20 different long-term medications, there is no possible way that you could design a study that would be realistic or feasible Mm -hmm. to do a study on (laughs) how does my, you know, how does my uh, 
heart medication interact with my mental health medication yes with my uh you know you just like go down the line with, with my pain pressure, medication with your sodium levels with your like all of it yes <laughs> and uh so in the book um Nassim Tlaib's book on anti-fragility mm-hmm. I think it's called anti-fragile again Nassim Tlaib not a not a good person totally shill for for certain um injections recently and uh, Lexi's going to go deal with some giggling outside that is a little loud while I continue talking here. But, you know, you look at uh, Nassim Tlaib talked about this iatrogenic, iatrogenesis problem in medicine. And he, he recounted this story where he was at a dinner party, I think was the occasion. And he was kind of sitting down, you know, small talk with the person next to him. Turns out it's a physician. And the physician was like, well, have you ever had your blood pressure tested? And he was like, I don't think so. And the physician's like, here, you know, I'll do you a favor. Pulls out, you know, goes to his car or something, tests tests Nassim Tlaib's blood pressure. And he's like, Nassim, Mr. Tlaib, your blood pressure is elevated. You know, uh, do you want me to write you a prescription? Literally, the physician was going to write Nassim Tlaib a prescription for a blood pressure medication at a dinner party because he had taken his blood pressure reading once. Okay, here's the thing about things like blood pressure, temperature, all of these issues. They're averages. They go up and down. Your your temperature is not at 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit all the time. It goes up and down. It averages, like across populations. Did you see that thing? I think I told you about that video Chocolate Knox posted by Dr. Zach Bush about how yeah. all he, he was saying, like that. he was he was showing that cells, when we study them in isolation, they're not meant to be in isolation because there's... There's this whole, whole entire system in the body, like flora and fauna. Yes, you know, they kind are of interacting with yeah, and we don't, and we viruses. don't, you guys, we don't understand how that all works right now. No, we don't. We we kind of pretend like we do. We really don't. So the point is, the point is really that we're trying to make is just one big point is that Christians should insist on the scientific method, mm-hmm. which means actual observational, testable data. Um, Christians should also, one of the ways that the scientific method works long-term, and this is a way that we don't actually believe in anymore because we despise our father and mother, and we're fifth commandment violators, is that there is actually often a huge body of testing that has happened down through the centuries in communities of people who have basically said, when we get this symptom or this issue, we we use this plant in this way. Yeah, we don't always have to know why. And we maybe don't have they to don't be obsessed know why. Yeah. with knowing why. <laughs> but like, oh, you get uh, you get a cold or you get some kind of respiratory virus, and they didn't know that's what it was. But they were just like, but then they said, this is what you do. You go on this protocol, and lo and behold, a lot of the time, these what we kind of even I think it's even kind of derogatory to call them folk remedies or like I know home there's all these words for them that are like but what they really are is testing you know uh, repeatable over a mm-hmm. long long period of time in many many instances it, it, with with these kind of uh, herbal let's take herbal remedies the thing is if there were really bad side effects to these herbal remedies that were happening People would have stopped using them a long time ago. Exactly. 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 There's there was an interesting little excerpt in nourishing traditions that I found recently that was saying like, why is it that your mother always suggested chicken noodle soup when you're sick? Mm -hmm. Now science can prove there's something in the 
I think it's the gelatin of the stalk mm -hmm. that essentially acts as a pain reliever in the body. Wow. And that's just that it's cool because Stuff the like that, science yep. and technology helps us see that. Yeah. But it's also like so easily overlooked because you can't patent your mom's chicken noodle soup recipe. <laughs> and, and and I'm glad you made that point because so much of this, what it comes down to is also the worship of money, centralization, control, yeah. political power. Rockefeller. Because when you when when somebody when the solution to a common household problem is rest, drink water, and at most here's a, an herb you grow in your garden. Nobody's making money on that. No, nobody can sell that. Nobody can put it in. Then you look at like the carpet baggers and the snake oil salesmen of history, where they all of a sudden are putting together secret concoctions and going town to town and saying, "You can't do that anymore. You need me." You need me to give you this elixir or you're going to die and the or your thing kids is, are going to suffer. I think most people look at that snake oil salesman and think herbalist or, yeah. you know, crunchy <laughs> mama. When in reality, it's, it's the pharmacist it's the behind the counter. It's the pharmaceutical industry. Seriously. And you guys, there are so many demonstrable examples We of could this. talk about this for hours. We could. So we're going to move on. <laughs> we're going to move on. We've uh, we've even Lexi's done more research than me, and we've watched a few documentaries together that are they're t you know they're literally showing that they are demonstrating that they're not making stuff up. Mm -hmm. They're showing interviews with pharmaceutical and just company reps. To clarify, the reason I started this rabbit hole was because you asked me to. <laughs> because oh, yeah. when Cyril was a newborn, we got norovirus oh, for yeah. two weeks straight. We were all norovirus. so sick. Ugh. I think I was two weeks postpartum. Yeah. I, I literally thought I was going to die. I'm like, I'm going to literally bleed to death. Norovirus, by the way, is like the... <laughs> Wicked. It's like the Arnold Schwarzenegger of viruses. It can live on a surface for like weeks. You can get it. It's one of the few that you can get it, then recover. And by the time it. it's worked through your family... If you have a big family too. You can get it again. So we had it's been... Cycle. We were We were pretty hesitant with Tylenol anyways because of Ari's um, yeah. asthma. Mm -hmm. But we... You were... Because there were so many kids and we were so tired, you were really worried about us accidentally overdosing the kids. And you told me after we were sick... Oh, totally, yeah. You said, you need to get a better system in place because this isn't working. No, it's not safe. <laughs> yeah, and that's what you said. You're like, this is not safe. So that's why I started this rabbit hole. Just so everyone knows, it wasn't me of my own accord doing this. No, and and, <laughs> and um, yeah, no, totally. So getting practical, and here's the thing, guys. So we're going we're gonna to do some practical stuff. Our In the Kitchen episode today, we're going to talk briefly about some of the resources and books that we really like. And then one of the projects that... Um, this is tough because of the time with five kids and we're, we're pretty busy, but one of the things we're, we're aiming to make available at some point in the near future on our Patreon channel is an annotated bibliography of different subjects. Well, I had written it and then we can't find it. So the file's gone. Um, the files it's are almost in the rewritten computer. you guys. Yeah. So, so I figured this out a few days and ago. And we're going to do that for multiple subjects, things like education. Yeah. Um, it, so do, we will have that. On our, it's I pay, there's a link in the description. I think it's patreoncom hearth or something. And on there we do an, a, a bonus show every week for patrons that support this show. Um, we give like a free mug, feed the patriarchy mug, and we're doing these annotated bibliographies too over time. So we're not going to like list everything here. But uh, so getting practical though, Lexi, what are the most common illnesses that a household? We're talking about recovering the lost arts of domesticity so getting very practical mom's listening 
you know, maybe newly married or has some kids and realizes she hasn't really thought this stuff through. Every time the kids get a cough, they're in the doctor. What are the most common illnesses that a household should be prepared for? Yeah, I think when I started doing this, I started asking myself, what are the things I'm quickest to give over-the-counter meds for and what I what am I most scared of? Yeah. So for me, that was respiratory illness yeah, like and breathing. fevers. Th- that's really common for everybody. Figure out, are fevers good or bad? I think they're good. I work with fevers. I do not lower fevers. I yeah, fevers your body actually trying to do something. It's the it way God doing. designed it to be fighting an illness. It's a sign of vitality in life. Even even febrile seizures are far less dangerous than, than and people again, want us to admit. We're not telling you that you should tell your doctor, Brian and Lexi said, that no fever is ever dangerous to a human being ever. Or your husband. Don't go tell your husband <laughs> no, that either. That's not true. There's more to it. And this is why you need to read books, not just listen to this one podcast. But I think that's yeah. the biggest mistake people make is they don't read books cover to cover. Yeah. They don't buy the books and keep them on their shelf and they don't buy the tools they need to have on hand. So true. All that to be said. Um, we've made those. I mean, those are literally all mistakes we've made. Yeah, that's why we weren't prepared. Yeah, for we so like long. <laughs> didn't have a pulse ox. So uh, respiratory fever. Yeah, we learned this all the hard way, basically, yeah. guys. Okay, so kids. digestive, digestive issues. Something coming out the mouth shouldn't be, <laughs> or, the, or bottom the bum <laughs> in a way that it should be. <laughs> um, like basic headaches can be kind of mysterious. I think a lot of skin conditions moms can freak out about. Totally, yeah. I literally do nothing for eczema. So people always come to me and they're like, ah, should I go to the doctor for this? Should, for this weird skin thing that's been there like two days? I'm like, no. Maybe if it's still there in two years and you have like tried a lot of lotions and it doesn't work, but yeah, <laughs> probably dietary not. dietary things, make sure the child's not allergic to something. Yeah. And part of that too is I'm just not convinced that most of our testing is reliable. So anyways, and then with a lot of babies, I think teething is a big one that, oh, you yeah. know, moms can be really quick to, and I'm not saying that I... I don't ever give um, Tylenol because there are times for teething babies when they're just inconsolable all night long where I have given it. But there are a lot of other helps you can do, especially during the daytime hours so that your baby does not need to be living on Tylenol. Yeah, and that's the thing. You, you really need to... This is hard, I think, for parents. You need to discern between your own comfort yep. and the actual best for your child. Yeah, because it is so demoralizing when you're not sleeping because yeah. of a child's issue, and it's so tempting. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to name names. This was a long time ago, but I, there was a family that we were kind of in a circle, a social circle with, and I mean, I felt like their kids were just continually on Tylenol every night. There was an issue. They're like, "Oh, we just give them some Tylenol. Oh, we just give them well, some whatever s- that makes them sleep. <laughs> some uh, somebody, Benadryl." You're your mom had been talking to like a mutual friend of ours about Cyril has never slept. He still sleeps outside of our bedroom door. And she had been laughing with this mutual friend of ours about how he didn't sleep well. He's the only one of our kids that didn't sleep well. And she seriously was like, well, why don't they just give him Benadryl at night? We're like, are you And, and your mom me? was like, uh, we're going to hop a two year old up on antihistamines to drug him to sleep. Sure, yeah, That's really going to promote healthy <laughs> sleep patterns for his life. No, he needs to learn how to sleep. Like, and so we're doing the training. So the, for those issues, um, I think, I think what we'll do is in, um, let's just really briefly give us the essentials for respiratory fever, okay. digestive headaches and teething and skin issues. Like, cause I think the respiratory and fever honestly is the biggest one. Yeah. That's the biggest one where I, I see parents in the ER or, um, yeah. for what's it called? Croup. 
or for yeah. those kind of issues really yeah. quickly. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, sometimes it, it there is necessary intervention on this stuff because we're talking about breathing issues. But if you have the right tools, you can know when that is. Yeah, That's I was going to say with respiratory, it's really important to have even a... A nebulizer. Yeah, a nebulizer. It's not super expensive. Yeah, and a pulse ox so you can check oxygen levels and a stethoscope. Very easy to listen, mm-hmm. to look up a YouTube video. I've confirmed this with ER friends. I've confirmed this with MD friends. Yes. It really is easy to listen to. Yeah, these are these are trade skills. I mean, doctors used yeah. to be tradesmen. Yeah. There's lots of different, like, you can do onion salves on the chest. You can do, I do like to use an essential oil blend on, like, the back of the neck for just really opening. And this is stuff that I've tried myself that I can tell, oh my gosh, this is helping me breathe better. You can do like some antibiotic oils along the spinal, the spine. I like to be, go ahead. I was going to say a pulse ox, just in case you don't know. It's the little thing that it's like a clamp that goes on your fingertip, on the child's fingertip. They have, you want to get a child or infant version too, because it fits on their little finger or their toe. And then just with most of this stuff, this is the key before you need it, you need to know how to use yeah. it. So get it now, get a kit, put it somewhere you know it is, kids can't get to it, and make sure before yeah. you ever need it, you put it on their little finger, you get a healthy reading, you mm-hmm. get familiar mm-hmm. with it, Same listen with to the them breathing. Yeah. yeah. And then when yeah. it and then you know what your kid sounds like. Yeah. And I have I have a medical box and I have a medical binder that that's where all of our stuff stays. I yeah. can pull it out. I can look at our protocols. I can give it to, to me. <laughs> grandparents, to Brian, so they can take yeah. care of sick people. I can take it with us when we travel. It's all very easy. So that's some basics for respiratory fever. I just try to focus on their comfort and hydration, to be honest. Yeah. Um, keeping them hydrated is really important for their body, oh, but it C. means more than just water. It means salt. It means juice. It yeah. means popsicles. It means broth. It means a lot more than just water. Lipospheric vitamin C. Yeah, we use a lot of high-dose vitamin C therapy. For digestive issues, I don't know. I really don't know, guys. For the most part, it's <laughs> it's like literally the the big danger with most digestive stuff, if I'm not mistaken, is dehydration. Yeah. So you're just trying to get and them And the reason resting. I say I don't know is because in my experience, even when I've given stuff like charcoal, well, then they're throwing up black puke everywhere, <laughs> and I don't want black puke the everywhere. The worst is the peanut butter smelling puke. You actually don't, and this is another thing, you have to understand anatom- anatomically and physiologically, why is their body doing this? They're, you want their body to be throwing up. There's something in it making them sick, and you want it out. You actually do not want to hinder that too quickly. You don't want to stop diarrhea too quickly, because it can make them even more sick in a different way. So yeah, you're not just going to immediately give them the what's it called the the opposite of a laxative. Oh, I don't, don't know. Don't immediately reach for a drug. That's that that's what we've been trained to do. We've been trained to see a symptom and give a drug, whether it's over the counter or not. That's our instinct. Mm-hmm. When for most of these common childhood illnesses and even adult illnesses, the answer is rest, hydration, yeah, including electrolytes proper nutrition, sunlight. It's yeah. it's not cuz we want this is the thing. We want to be gods. So yeah. we want an immediate like an immediate just salvation. I can fix it so I can go back to work cuz I yep. need to work or I need yep. my I need to go to piano lessons or I, it's disrupting my life. You have to be willing to let your life be disrupted. Yeah. And honestly guys, some of these illnesses for kids really do take multiple weeks to get yeah. 
to get better from, you know, that's a lot of why we don't, we can't do much hospitality through the winter time is it's really hard. A lot of illness and going, goes around. <clears throat> okay. So do you want me to go through the other two or is this getting too long? We'll, we'll, we'll keep moving. Cause like headaches and, and teething stuff just briefly. I won't okay. interrupt you. Headaches. Um, I would, I use a lot of mint oils for pain. Actually, just before Ira went to bed, he took a little drink of Ningxia and I put a little bit of peppermint on his head because he's he gets a lot of headaches after his concussion. Yeah, he's had two um, just because he loves to climb trees and ride bicycles. I also really like to go sit outside with my feet off, just like sit on the ground in the sunshine, just keep, you know, circulation moving, which a lot of the time that's what you want. You want to keep circulation moving through your head yeah, so that it won't ache so badly. Touch grass, get sun. <laughs> yeah. Literally. Teething, um, I had a lot of luck when my babies are younger. I have a lot of luck with homeopathy, which don't freak out by the word energy medicine. There are some weird ways that people twist the word energy medicine. You have to understand like the periodic element table of elements was invented by Christians because we knew there was something more than the physical world. And we discovered gases that way. I do believe there are other types of quote unquote energy out there. That's what things like oxygen were called before we knew they were ener- before we knew that they were oxygen we just called them energy we didn't know really what they were it's just what yeah. we labeled Airs, them vapors yeah so i i think that's a lot of what's going on with homeopathy and the the cooler microscopes and the bigger microscopes we build now we can actually see what's going on with these little homeopathic pellets so i don't think it's woo woo i do use the uh, oh gosh the highlands teething tablets work really well for babies my babies when they're little as they get older for a variety of reasons, I don't think they work as well. Um, so I have used a lot of, like, I have like a clove oil that's really, really, really diluted. Do not put it on, do not put it right on their gums. It will burn them, burn them, burn them, and be very, very careful with it. But other than that, I just like... Clove is a topical analgesic yeah. when it's used properly. I I think a lot of, um, like a lot of nursing, a lo- again, a lot of comfort measures. Can you give them some snacks that help their teeth? Yeah. Winnie really likes to chew on. <laughs> Anytime she finds out an open wipe, or, she goes yeah. over and grabs it and starts just gnawing on a it or a washcloth. Kind of she really yeah. likes that sort of stuff. So. A lot of it's just helping your child psychologically. Yeah. To yeah. just kind of Distract get them. distracted. And that's Their body why is going to do the work. You guys, you can see why. If you're a mom that's working full time, you don't have time to do this. You're going to pop the med drop them off of whoever's oh, watching totally. them and that's yeah. it you yep, don't yep, have yep. time to be dedicated to caring for your children all day yeah one thing on the you mentioned energy stuff and i, I want to make some asterisks so people don't think we're that we're talking about demon stuff because there's like you know you get into this some of the eastern medicine stuff where they're like you know there is a huge overlap and, and yeah on one in on one hand it's actually there are cultures that make the opposite era of our culture like our culture is a very materialist it's getting more away from this, but it's a very materialist and um, anti-supernaturalist culture. Mm-hmm. So, like, we don't we don't assume demons have anything to do with anything a lot of the time in our culture. And then there's actually cultures in the other ditch where there's a god and everything has its own god, and the, you know everything has its own spirit, and where they 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 actually land in that other ditch. How so? Some of these, some of the cultures that you know, in, in like Eastern medicine and things like that, there's genuinely spiritual evil elements to things like that. They, they're they explaining why things work through the lens of their demonic religions and things like that. However, one of the things you have to understand is just what we talk about often as epistemic humility. Mm-hmm. This is humility yeah. about what you know. Ep- yeah. ep- 
epistemology is just philosophy of knowledge. So what do you know? How do you know what you know? How are you confident and different, you know, in your knowledge? And a lot of the time we are, we are wildly overconfident in the West, in our technology and our understanding of things. So we, you know, for example, grounding is one of them, you know, like grounding is like the idea of getting your feet in the dirt, right? Yeah. And people, yeah. people in natural, the natural health world forever have been like, you need to touch the dirt. Like you need to just be, you need to walk around barefoot sometimes. And it seems to help with certain things. So, you know, some people look at that, they're like, oh, that's obviously woo-woo. You just go, you actually don't know. Like, <laughs> we don't know how all of the this world that God made that's like, we're, we're these cool. biological yeah. beings that run on electricity. And, you know, so with a lot of these, a lot of folk remedies that have come down through the ages or like folk knowledge, we need to use the scientific method. Like, let's yeah. see what happens to people who do this regularly and don't. But um, before we like throw things out because they sound weird to us, just like how weird would it be if you described penicillin to somebody from the 1600s? Yeah, exactly. And you're like, well, we're going to grow this mold on an orange and it is going to um, prevent your wound from turning gangrenous. <laughs> They'd be like, what? Again, you it's, witch? it's like, not always about you know the I mean? how exact. We don't always have to know exactly, exactly how, how it works. Yeah. Yeah. So beware when you go into the world, just like any other thing, when you go into the world of medicine and natural medicine, you're going to get, like I just ran across some very woo-woo thing yesterday that was this singer, harpist, who was making music that was like supposed to align your energies with your true self and vibrations. And and like clearly that person was a demon, like was, was talking about demon stuff. And I was like, whatever. You know, and, but at the same time, I go... Literally all of electricity, sound, energy, That's light, radio. This is we're we're talking about moving energy. Could there be some? Yeah, exactly. When you describe scientifically what light is, we say it behaves like a particle and like a wave. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Yeah. Like we, we, the thing is, God's mind is so far beyond ours, yeah. and He's hidden these glories in the world for us to discover. And a lot of the time, it's actually anti-scientific thinking when we when we just kind of like scoff. Yeah instead of investigating. And so what I yeah. would love to see are like an army of classically educated Christians going yeah. out with a scientific method in investigating the medical world with a truly Christian ethic. Yeah. And man, like in a hundred years, what, what, what might we find out when we stop trying to treat the body yeah. like a machine merely yes. with medical interventions and, you know, and um, Yeah, because you can, you can turn this into an idol on any side. Yeah, like absolutely. the example of the, I think it's called sound therapy. I've listened to some people talk about mm -hmm. that before where it's like they're, they're so idolatrous of the body yeah. that they are using this in a demonic way. Or you can look at David in the Bible playing music to ease. Yeah. Yeah. Like David went and played for somebody's Saul. ills. Like, okay. And maybe he was God just made it so that beautiful music can actually lower our blood pressure. <laughs> like, yeah, like or, or like a Roman, <laughs> but you don't have to be weird demonic about it. <laughs> yeah, you're like, it doesn't mean that we're, you're worshiping a demon. It's like, literally we worship the living God and, yeah. and we go, wow, God made lavender and lavender does stuff like put it on your sunburn. It'll help. Trust me. <laughs> so anyway, um, what oh, about common injuries, injuries that a household should be prepared for? And we'll just, okay. like, we'll just fly over this really quick. Um, you, if you have kids, you already know all of these bleeds, <laughs> bleeds, have some, some way to, um, stitch up a kid if you want. So you're not having to do it over FaceTime with a, 
vet medic from church. Yeah, we've been there. <laughs> um, yeah. Bones, like understand that most hospitals only set bones a couple days out of the week. And so you need to be prepared if you don't want your child to be living on Tylenol for days and in pain with something as simple as like a Sam splint. Um, yeah. Concussions, I... Yeah, we're, uh, <laughs> we've had the kids with concussions and, um, I'm not going to say what we actually think about that because <laughs> I literally, I, I don't want to get sued. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. and we, we love our kids guys. Nobody like do anything. We take care of our kids. We've, we take them to the doctor when we need to. Yeah. That's really, so cut scrapes, bro. If your kid breaks a bone, there's a bone sticking out. Take him to the ER. Yeah, yeah. Like, don't be like Brian and Lexi. Well, said, and that's the thing is, I should put some lavender. I oil actually on it. believe one of the only valid forms of modern medicine is emergency medicine. Not even surgical medicine necessarily. Emergency medicine. Yeah, we've gotten, we've genuinely made improvements that are very important. Yes. In and and it's interesting to actually in in, in emergency medicine. It's inter- like putting people together after a car wreck, things like that. Yeah. Trauma. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. It's interesting to see why that might be. And actually, the reason why is because that is an area where you cannot escape the scientific method. Because you either put them together and they live or not. And it's right in front of you. It is a, every time it is a science, it's an experiment. Yeah, that's really, that's a good point. Obviously, now, a lot of these questions, this is the last thing we're going to talk about, and we'll end here, is really just this question of um, how can parents figure out where that line is with a lot of this stuff when they need to take him to the doctor. Do you have any just like helpful principles on? I mean, I think it has to do with your knowledge level. Like you can yeah, truly be negligent. And the more I've learned, the more I have put different, I don't know, like things into place. Like I'm not willing to cross this line. I'm not willing to cross this line or even let's say one of our children got cancer or something one day. Yeah. I don't obsess about it, but I, I at least know what cancer resources I trust and I'll go there. It's not like I'm not willing to take them into the doctor, but it's like, if you go to the doctor, do you have, have you researched enough to figure out what you are and are not comfortable with? Or are you just going to listen to them again blindly? Please know doctors want you to feel like you have to make immediate decisions and you don't, even with cancer, they're going to make you feel like you need to not even return home without chemo in your arm. You don't have to. You really don't have to. So so my personal limitations, I guess, is I know breathing issues are one of those things that I just... Absolutely. I don't mess around with. I've seen enough illness that I know... Choking, allergic reactions yes. causing airway obstruction. If you're worried that your child is not breathing, strider, yes. yeah. where they're sucking in around the rib cage, yeah. uh, if you have a, you should have a pulse ox, number one. Yeah. This will give you peace of mind or confirmation. Yeah. You, you should have actually have two of them at least. And you should independently test them against each other. Correct. So that you're not worried you're that not it's panicking. giving you a bad reading. Yeah. That's, I'm serious. <clears throat> that is huge peace of mind. So when your kid is coughing and they have a really ugly cough, barky kind of mm-hmm. creepy cough, you, give, you look at the pulse ox every yeah. hour or two through the night. You know my kid has 96% oxygen saturation or above. They're fine. Yeah, They're going to be fine. And I really do mean every hour or two, don't let them sleep Don't let them sleep long. all night. Don't you know, and <clears throat> don't kill yourself if you forget for you, yeah, know, yeah. you fall asleep, you're really tired. But um, the other one... F- but if they get airway obstruction, if yeah. you're genuinely worried and your diagnostics are inconclusive or mm-hmm. are giving you indications that your child is having trouble getting enough oxygen, yeah, 
take them to the ER. Well, and the cool thing is if you have been developing the skill of observation, taking notes with your kids, what works, what doesn't work, you're going to be an asset for the doctor when you get to the hospital. Yeah. So, and if you need to go to the hospital, Dr. Mendelson in the book I recommended earlier, he has some cool questions to like walk through, ask yourself in prep for going to the hospital to stay safe at the hospital. Yeah. So concussions, the one thing that does make me a little nervous with concussions would be like the last time we went was because Ira, he had issues with the not moving half of his body. <laughs> so like if, if there is an, a head injury and there is a lack of mobility in the body, go to the, yeah, go call, to, call no, do, like don't, don't, don't the car. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is call you, an ambulance. you need to call them because they need to be able to move. Again, like, like we're not trying to give you exhaustive medical advice no. for all your stuff. We're just, just our we're actually, what we're trying to do in this episode is get you to start thinking about it and get, get researching and being prepared for these things. Yeah. You should just generally learn how, like, you should learn emergency medicine. Everybody should know how to stop a bleed. Everybody should know how to perform CPR. Everybody should know how to clear an airway. Everybody should know how to generally disinfect a wound. Everybody should know what to do with an eye injury, things like that. Yeah, and get your kids involved. Even um, so they're aware. <laughs> recently, <laughs> poor Cyril, he split his toe open again. Again. And I was in the oh, middle boy. of something. <laughs> and so Ari was sitting over reading a book, and Ari loves this stuff. So I said, hey, bud, yeah. come over here. Look at Cyril's toe. Walk me through. What would you do? Yeah, and the first nine. thing he said was, well, I'd put some socks on if I were him. <laughs> he's like... <laughs> Let's do some preventative medicine. But the Cyril. cool thing is, he knew immediately. He got out the people's paste. He bandaged yeah. it up so much better than I would. He got out the medical tape, mm. the band aid, and then little Cyril's walking around with what a, a little toe that his brother casted for him. What a king! <laughs> what a king! So yeah, get your kids involved. Yeah, and just if you if you're a lot of the not taking these unnecessary trips to the doctor, it has so much to do with preparedness. Yeah. So that you'll be able to have confidence that you are making the right decision, and then when you're not confident, mm -hmm. that's actually that's actually data. Yeah, you're like, I don't know what's going on. This is not a normal thing. This mm -hmm. is not a normal respiratory thing. Yeah, I'm taking my kid to the doctor. Yeah, or to the emergency room. As a parent, having that confidence is the difference maker. Yeah. And it shows that you've taken the responsibility that God's given you seriously. The other thing I want to say is lethargy. If oh, if there yes. is genuine lethargy, I don't care if you can't figure out any other. Yeah. If all your diagnostics are saying, you know, this child should be okay, but there's just like sudden onset lethargy, like truly cannot wake up. Mm -hmm. Even if they're breathing, I would still take a child in. Yeah. It's personality change. Not just sad and like sleepy and like sad weepy eyes, but mm -hmm. like genuinely lethargy. So, also get some old people in your life. Yeah. Find the old, like we have a neighbor who's tremendous. She's just so she helpful. She helped Cyril when he was choking. He once, was choking. Yeah. We've, we've um, since then gotten some choking things yeah. that, to try and make sure we're prepared. That's really all we have for today. We're going to run through, That's we're going to do a pretty that brief. Seems like a lot. That was a lot. I know. This is our <laughs> longest episode yet. Oh, but I think boy. it's it, this is our most requested topic it is. by a mile. So I wouldn't be surprised, guys, if we have more questions and do another episode on this at some point. But sign up for our Patreon. It does it helps support the show. We put a lot of time into this. We um, have resources go out to make it happen beyond time as well. So we we really appreciate your support, and we try to make it worthwhile for you as well, and give you that extra bonus show every week. We're gonna do a brief one on a few resources for. Uh, this in the kitchen episode of in the kitchen for patrons there there's a link in the description thanks for listening guys 
We do hope that you, you know, become a master of your domain and you learn how to be confident in making these kinds of health decisions for your family, to be an advocate for your children, and to think rightly about the human body and about health holistically. Um, We hope this has been helpful to you. And again, just to reiterate, please don't make any rash medical decisions based on any of this. We're telling you to take responsibility and go do your reading and go come to firm convictions in your mind. And these are some of the pathways we've gone down that have helped us think about it. Many of them through making mistakes with our own kids, seeing issues, and just re- literally learning by the 2 a.m. We didn't, ha- we weren't prepared for that. Yeah, you know. So um, hopefully, you guys can learn from our um, mistakes and from what the Lord's, um, you know, led us to through those mistakes as well. Uh, but thanks for listening. God bless you, and uh, may your household bear much fruit in service of His kingdom. 